The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. Good to see you on this Friday. Front and center this hour, the road ahead for your money. After a tumultuous week in the market, tech a major question mark now after serious selling in that sector. Rates moving sharply higher over the past five days. Over the next hour, we'll debate what's likely to happen next. It's also the final day of our stock summit. Three more committee members making their top picks for 2022. Looking forward to that. Joining me for the hour this Friday, Shannon Sakosha, Richard Saperstein, Jim Labenthal, and Pete Najarian, the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Let's check the wall because the markets have been volatile on this Friday. The Dow is now good for 123 points to the upside, so reversing a decline. It's good for triple digits. NASDAQ seeing some selling pressure yet again. The 10-year note yield. Boy, we're, we're focused on that right now. You see that 178 is where we currently sit. NASDAQ's been down seven of eight days, and we're looking at the worst week in, in a while for NAS. So we'll keep our eyes certainly there as well. Seems to me, Jim Labenthal, that the story of the week is the sharp move in rates. I'm going to show you the difference in the 10-year between last Friday and this Friday. We're talking about a significant move from about 151 to just a few moments ago, touching 179. Is that the biggest story as far as you see it? It, it is, Scott. And, you know, whether that's a response to the Fed's change of stance or not is irrelevant. What the rates market is saying is that real interest rates are way too negative. And for this strong of an economy, it just should not be negative. So interest rates are moving up. You're right to bring up the speed of this increase. That's what has hit uh, the markets the hardest. And it's this simple. You really should not expect multiples, earnings multiples, to expand if interest rates are rising this quickly. We better hope like heck they don't contract, particularly in tech land. Um, so, you know, these Googles, Apples, Microsofts of the world, the fan complex, what we should be all hoping for this year is that the multiples stay the same and you get a share price increase then that's just commensurate with earnings per share growth. What's that going to be? It's going to be like seven, eight, nine, ten percent. Not a lot. If you want more than that, you got to look outside of tech where the earnings growth rate is going to be higher in the cyclical stocks. But yes, Scott, to summarize, this is about interest rates right now. Um, the Fed has clearly turned hawkish. And what's very interesting, I thought today that maybe rates would back up a little bit, that they'd go down off of that lousy jobs report. Uh, but the rates market is saying, nope, no matter what, we're going higher. Uh, and I think we thank the Fed for that. You know, it, I'm glad you bring that up because I, I want to point your attention to not only a tweet, but a chart that our own senior economics reporter Steve Leisman put out within the last hour that really tells the story that it's full steam ahead as far as the market is concerned relative to what the Fed is going to do and when it's going to do it in terms of raising interest rates. Take a look at this. Leisman says Fed funds futures trading like this was a strong inflationary jobs report that keeps the Fed on track to hike. 
all these probabilities are contract highs, with the third hike now at 58% for September, the December contract 50% probability for a fourth hike for the very first time. But you take a look at this chart now that I want to show you, 82% for March for the first hike. And now you're creeping up to four hikes. 50% think December is going to be the fourth hike. That's why rates are on the move, Pete. Yep. No doubt. No doubt. Scott, I think it's really important. And I love the fact that you went back and just showed us what it looked like over the last week. That's an unbelievable velocity move that we're talking about here when we're looking at the 10 year. And obviously, all of us are looking right at that. And there's two reactions. You're getting rid of a lot of those high multiple tech stocks. That's what people are absolutely going hands out. And they're saying it's time to sell those. And they're buying stuff like we're seeing within the financials, specifically a lot of the big banks, whether it's J.P. Morgan or Citi or Wells Fargo, you name it. But also, even some of the the other names within that. And we're seeing a lot of paper, Scott, in J.P. Morgan, in Bank of America. I'm seeing option paper, as a matter of fact, in the XLF that's just absolutely massive. And they're not ultra short term. They're actually buying a little bit further out. So I think that's a little more interesting as well. Basically saying, hey, look, we don't think this is just a one and done week and that's where that we're going to stop. They're actually basically signaling to us that through the options markets that they're looking for even more upside over the next period of time going out to the end of February. So we're seeing XLF calls like yesterday where they bought massive, I'm talking 68,000 upside calls in the XLF yesterday. That gives you a little bit of an idea that people just continually are looking at this and they're looking at that tenure, as Jim said, that is the trigger point right now. The trigger point to sell on one side, but then buying these financials on the other. Shannon, what are you watching today on this Friday? Well, I think that the one thing that I'm taking away from this morning's non-farm payrolls report is that um, we know that there's going to continue to be revisions there. And so I think the focus and the emphasis is rightly on the unemployment rate number, which is under 4% now. Um, I think that there does need to be uh, some reconciliation between the selling in big cap tech and what we would expect to see over the course of the next couple of years. I do think that there, um, I don't disagree with Jim's assessment on the opportunity for a multiple expansion, but I think that there is going to be continued earnings growth in the space. And I think that the economy globally is gonna be an accelerant for that. And so I think if you're looking at what I'm most interested in positioning my portfolio for over the course of the next couple of years, um, it's quality companies that continue to generate earnings growth and free cash flow. And I think that there are several sectors in which you can, can find those opportunities. And so rather than emphasizing specifically some of the, the deeper cyclical names that we'll talk about later in the show, I think that people should be looking at some of the quality names in the quote unquote growth space that could be great long term ads over the course of the next couple of weeks. And so, um, I, you know, it's a cautionary tale on loading up on one side of the barbell. And we've always kind of been in the middle and balanced in that way. And I think it's just reemphasizing emphasizing the fact that these companies aren't bad companies and that they will continue to grow their earnings over the course of the next couple of years. Okay, we're going to get to some very, very interesting moves from the committee in just a moment. First, though, I do want to hear from one of America's top financial advisors, Rich Saperstein. Uh, we're lucky to have you back, uh, especially on a week like this, where we have volatility in rates, we have volatility in stocks, but we have a significant move from last Friday to Friday, as we're showing in the 10-year. What's on your mind? What are you telling clients? Well, the stock market's been up 90% in the last three years, and in my 40 years, that's just incredible. 
Uh, last year, we had the fourth lowest volatility in 25 years with a f only a 5% drawdown. PEs are elevated, both forward and trailing. We have a Fed funds rate, a real Fed funds rate that's minus 4.5%. Haven't seen that since 1975. So there's, there's a lot of excess in all areas, both in the bond and the equity complex. And now you have a Fed that's going to start removing the punch ball. So what's going to happen here? Well, basically, we have to expect a lot of volatility, okay, uh, both in, in terms of the equity markets and the fixed income markets. But against that, we have very strong earnings growth. We have very strong consumers, low debt, high cash flow, record amounts of money in money market funds. And basically, we're going to see a continued demand for equities going forward. Now, the impact on the tech sector seems to be a big discussion. So we have to separate between zero earning tech and tech stocks that are generating enormous amounts of cash flow. The fact that the 10 years going up 50, 100 basis points is not going to impact, let's say, uh, the large cap tech stocks that are reinvesting $130 billion a year in CapEx. It's the zero coupon, the zero earning tech stocks that are going to be hit most. In fact, 40% of the NASDAQ well, is down 50%. That's right. That's right. But, but, but let me just stop you then. Why week to date are names like Microsoft off 7.5%, Amazon 25 Apple 35 Alphabet 6 right? I mean, th these things have, have expanded their own multiples as the whole NASDAQ has ridden the wave of what we've seen from the other part of technology as well. And, and the fact that they've been defensive stocks, right? So if, if you, even if you've pulled money out of the high multiple tech, you've put it in to mega cap tech because you've said, well, those are, the, those are the growth at a reasonable price stocks. And it gives me a little bit of defense as well to play in a more volatile technology environment, Rich. Well, I wasn't doing backflips. Uh you know, when they were up dramatically over the last three, four, five, and I've owned them over a decade. So if you look at Microsoft, uh, compound annual growth rate has been 30% a year. We're talking about 80 billion in operating cash flow, roughly 20 billion in CapEx. So there's 60 billion in free cash flow. The fact that the stock went down six or seven or 8% this week, uh, it doesn't move me at all. In fact, I'm compelled to add more on these pullbacks because I'm a long-term holder. I think investors should think about a portion of their portfolio. Where can you get uh, earnings growth greater than the market, margins greater than the market, and enormous amounts of free cash flow that I don't believe is going to be impacted with the 10-year going up 50 basis points? Well, that brings me to Jim Labenthal, uh, Farmer Jim, because he told you coming into this year he was going to make some uh, cuts in certain parts of his portfolio, at least trimming positions. He did it with Apple. He told us that already as that stock hits $3 trillion in market cap earlier in the week. Labenthal takes some money off the table. And now he's doing it again. And he's doing it in Alphabet. Yes, he still owns it. It's a smaller weighting than when it was because he continues to raise his cash positions. I'm speaking about him as though he's not here, but he's in that little box at the bottom of my screen on the left. So, Jim, why don't you explain your move? 
you got it, Scott. Just wanted to wait for you to finish. But you know, I really, I really listened to what Rich just said. I mean, Rich, my is he's my kind of guy, right? He's an old school uh, fixed income guy. I love Rich. Um, here's where I here's where I square this circle. I am trimming. I'm raising 10% cash. I'm at 9% right now. I'm not trying to be anybody's hero, okay? What I am saying is that volatility is set to increase as the Fed stops injecting cash into the financial market. Now, by volatility, and I don't want to trigger um, Pete on this, by volatility, I mean the depth and size of a drawdown that can occur. I think we're going to get a full 10% correction this quarter. I want to have dry powder with which to engage. So my thesis on the long-term bull market, much like Rich, is very much intact, very much intact. But I do want to be tactical here. Again, not trying to be anybody's hero. Uh, I want to have 10% cash. Where am I going to raise it from? I'm going to raise it from those higher multiple stocks that I think actually, despite what I said earlier, I think they are at risk of a little bit of multiple, multiple contraction as interest rates go higher. I'm certainly not going to mess around with my cyclicals, okay? I'm not going to mess around with energy, industrials, financials, because I see earnings growth there larger this year than what the overall market is going to bring. So technology, large cap now, tech is my source of funds. 10% correction. That's your call. You just made yes, it sir. on the air and we're going to hold you to that. Shannon, does that seem reasonable? <laughs> is the, the move in interest rates going to precipitate a 10% correction for stocks? And is your best bet to look through your portfolio, find the winners like Jim has and do some trimming and have some dry powder for the other side. Yeah, I think it's challenging. I, I don't disagree with Jim, actually, that this could um, create a correction. And it's really because of this rotation that we're seeing um, from the, the high tech, uh, the high, high cap, uh, big tech yeah, <laughs> growth sector um, into other sectors. But I would say about raising cash, I think it's really important here that you're trimming your winners. And I think that Jim has talked about this from a portfolio construction standpoint for the last couple of years. I know Joe talks about this as well, and I couldn't agree more. And so when I'm looking at portfolio construction, if I'm not necessarily raising a lot of cash, and we, we probably will raise a little bit here, Getting ready for that correction and having those inflection points, there are probably going to be two or three inflection points this year that you need to think about crafting your portfolio and pivoting. And I think that whether you're doing I, that from cash or whether you have those targeted names that you want to trim, which we do, I think it's important to be ready to do that because I do think that it's going to move with a velocity that is different than what we've seen over the last couple of years. So, look, I'm looking at your, your moves here, and I, I think our viewers will, will find it th this interesting. So you, you, you are doing some trimming, right? Uh, Accenture. We are. Marsh McLennan uh, and Anthem. So you're, you're looking to trim some winners. I, I totally get it. Um, but you're also looking to do some buying, and you're looking to do some buying along the cyclical part of the market. Cummins, so it's an industrial, right? Engines. Uh, Best Buy, interesting move there. Tell me about these two buys, as I noted your, your sales. We can take a look at them individually, but talk to me about Cummins. We'll throw up an intraday. I want to see the stock. 
Yeah, so Cummins is an interesting play in that I think that if you think about kind of traditional diesel um, and the potential for increased freight and trucking, you know, a lot of that emphasis from an investor perspective has been on EV. And we just look at the backlog in a company like Cummins and we think about the potential for supply chain improvement, which we anticipate this year. Um, and we think that that could really drive additional earnings growth in 22 and 23. Um, so there is, you know, potentially this factor around investor sentiment being being more EV focused, um, but they do have a hydrogen unit, and we do think that it's going to continue to yield uh, earnings growth as freight increases. On the Best Buy side, Scott, you know, I haven't done a lot in retail, and we've really shied away from particularly apparel, um, big box retail. We've got Home Depot, we've got Costco. Best Buy has done an excellent job of continuing to monetize on its online presence. The other thing that they're doing is that they're creating this services component. And if you look at what we look for from a cash flow perspective, having a services component, having these contracts, being able to grow their geek squad, um, that is going to continue to bring people back to Best Buy to purchase goods, but also have this cash flow that we do think is going to create um, you know, additional earnings over time. And so those are the two areas we're adding some cyclicality. Again, perhaps not as much as Pete and Jim and, and Stephanie Link have done over the course of the last year, but adding incremental cyclicality while continuing to trim some of those names that have done really well. So you outright sold IDEX. The ticker for all of you playing wherever you are today is IEX. Why did you sell that? Yeah, so we purchased this um, in late 2020, and we were really excited to add, you know, a differentiated industrial exposure to our portfolio. Honestly, it has reached our price target. It modestly underperformed the S&P 500 during our holding period. There was really nothing wrong with the company, but we didn't see a catalyst. And when we're looking at our industrials uh, exposure, we didn't want to go significantly underweight because, to Jim's point, we want the opportunity to do that over the course of the next few months as well as part of these inflection points. So we trimmed, we sold IDEX in favor of Cummins. Um, but really, you know, this is portfolio construction. You look at things that maybe have done just fine, um, but are they going to continue to have that potential? for outperformance. We didn't see that with IDEX. All right, let's bring in our headliner of the day today, Dan Greenhouse. He is the chief economist and strategist at Solus Alternative Asset Management. Been a while since we've seen him. Happy New Year. Welcome back to the program. Thank you, sir. Yeah, thank you. You've heard the conversation. Where do you think we are? A lot has happened in the market since we saw you last. Yeah, listen, I, I, I agree with a lot of, of what Rich and Jim in particular were saying. Uh, I, I think the, the probability of higher volatility this year in a host of markets is at least thus far underappreciated in markets. I know we're all talking about it, and it seems somewhat obvious, but I don't think that the market appreciates the, the likelihood of, of what's about to transpire. And I, you had a good conversation yesterday, I listened, uh, with Josh Brown about what the Federal Reserve is going to do in terms of winding down its balance sheet and raising interest rates. Probably that will be happening in the back half of the year and how we can look at something like 2017 and 2018 as, as a benchmark for that. And there's no doubt that volatility was higher in those two years than in the preceding two years when the Fed really got going. And I think that's the, for lack of a better word, the risk for markets over the next 12 to 18 months that the Fed has to go more quickly uh, and by extension volatility rises and you do have something of a of a correction in, in risk assets as a result. 179, okay? That's a 10-year. 
today. I noted, you know, I noted at the top of the program that, that that's where it hits. You telling me that the stock market can't handle a move of I don't know twenty to thirty more basis points or so? Like if we get to two percent, we really can't handle that. The sky is really going to be falling, assuming that inflation, uh, you know, moderates at 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 least. And if anything starts to come down, which a lot of predict- predictions suggest that it will, um, you know, maybe it's going to take a while for food and energy. Oil's at 80. I, I totally get it. But some commodity inflation has rolled over. Um, what can the stock market handle and what can't it? Yeah, I mean, listen, this is a, re- a really in-depth conversation. The, the first thing I would say is I don't think anyone's saying it, it's the end of the world if 10-year goes to two or even two and a quarter or something like that. Um, it's hardly a big deal when it, during the 2017-18 period we were talking about, or I just referenced, uh, the 10-year went from like two to three, which is 100 basis points or a 33% increase, I guess, uh, in yields. Uh, we're talking about something obviously considerably smaller than that, but I don't think it's it's the level, but necessarily the rate of change. And And at the same time, we're also, as we all quite well know, we're not talking about the overall stock market here, which is largely... Apple, Google, and a lot of those those larger companies. But what's going to happen beneath the headline as yields continue to drift higher? And I think for a host of markets and, and a, a lot of names in those markets that we all know well, um, this sort of unabashed risk-on mentality that has pervaded markets over the last 12 months or so is going to run into a little bit of a headwind. It already has. We know that the Pelotons and those types of companies, how far they are off their highs, um, but I, I would also be remiss if not if not if I didn't believe that that's likely to continue. J- does the stock market itself fall twenty percent and then never rise again? I, I don't think anyone's making that case. I think the argument, pretty concretely, is that the Fed's going to have to do what it has to do over the next couple of months, and volatility as a result is going to go up, and then the likelihood of those drawdowns certainly increases as a result. I mean, you could also make the case, I, I think, that it's a good thing the way that those stocks have corrected. Right. All of the areas of perceived excess throughout the last 12 to 18 months have corrected on their own. Uh, has it been painful for the holders of, of those? Well, of course, you know, sure. I'm talking about SPACs. The airs come out of that balloon. IPOs. The airs come out of the ARC balloon. The airs come out of the IPO balloon. In some respects, it's come out of the crypto balloon. Um, the market has had this incredible ability to self-correct. And that's kept the market from having a greater sized correction, don't you think? Sure. Listen, when I talk to investors uh, in our fund, the the debate is not what should or shouldn't be. It's what will or won't be. And it's not whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. My my argument for how we should position the fund or if we should position the fund uh, or if investors should be concerned or not be concerned is is really based around, uh, again, not whether it's good or not, but whether it will or won't. And uh, in, in that sense, there's at this point no doubt that the Fed is going to do uh, at least three hikes next year. I know there's, uh, as you mentioned earlier, there's some pricing in the market of four hikes. My gut says that that's not the case. Although, admittedly, three or four hikes is largely irrelevant. Um, the direction is what matters, and the direction is in, in, the, in the direction of tighter policy. Um, but, but I would put the question back to, to you and the team. If the Fed hikes three times or five times over the next 18 months, whatever it is, and begins winding down the balance sheet at a more rapid clip than they did last time, um, with the economy set to grow somewhere in the mid single digits next year, call it four or five percent or so, uh, I, I would just simply ask, is that the same type of risk on market environment than what we've seen in the preceding 12 not. months? 
And, and the answer is simply, of, of course, course not. not. And how do you posi- and how do you position for that? That's right. But at the end of the so, day, so Farmer Jim, yeah, I, I let me let me get a comment just, since you since you raised that since you raised the question and 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 hold on because I'll come back to you. But but let me get a comment, Jim. If, if that scenario materializes, and it's not so far fetched, what Dan Greenhouse puts forth, by the way, um, I think what happens to stocks. I think he just phrased it pretty darn eloquently. I mean, there's there's beyond the taper being accelerating, beyond Fed rate hikes being brought forward, there's this idea that the Fed may rapidly shrink the balance sheet. And, you know, we're really not talking about that at all. All of this comes together. And what it means is there's less cash being injected. In fact, at some point this year, there's no cash being injected by the Fed into the financial system. I am a strong believer that that cash that's been coming in last year, it was $120 billion a month, is what kept the market from going down more than 5%. Those dips, they lasted like two, three days at the most. That's because all that cash was coming in. That's going away. It's going away rapidly. It doesn't mean the bull market is over. What it means is that volatility is going to increase. And by that, I mean downside downside moves. So this is not where we were last year, where it was low valuations, vaccines coming out, high profit growth. And I mean, that was the best time literally I've ever seen for the stock market in my life. That's it, not where we are right now. Just Dan, means, just, Dan just hit it on the head. It, Sure, but it just means a re-rating of multiples more, more than anything yes. else, Dan. I'll give you the last word, then i got to bounce. i got to finish my stock summit. Yeah, uh, listen, at the end of the day, if your portfolio underperforms, you don't get to tell investors or clients or whomever, yeah, but uh, at the end of the day, if that volatility is going to occur, then it's going to occur, and you're going to have to position for it. If we use 18 again, you had a 10% and a 20%, two separate drops, one at the beginning, one at the end of the year, two separate Fairly consequential, substantial drops. The second drop, 20%, took the entire fourth quarter to occur. And I know a lot of people with us here on the buy side that, uh, for lack of a better phrase, didn't really recover from that fourth quarter of 18. And so, again, the question is just simply, what type of environment should you expect going forward? It's going to be different. And that's the overriding theme. No doubt about that. Dan Greenhouse, good to see you again, man. It's been a while. Look forward to talking to you again. Always enjoy it. My pleasure, sir. All right. You take care. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, the Halftime Stock Summit is next. Rich, Pete and Shannon revealing their top ideas for the year ahead. Two minutes away. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. 
All right, let's begin our 2022 Stock Summit uh, continues with our investment committee's best ideas for the new year. All right, Rich Saperstein, you have the floor first today. <laughs> so uh, one of the stocks is uh, Vistra, V-S-T. It's a small cap, $11 billion market cap. Uh, they got traumatized by the uh, one-off tail risk event in weather last year in uh, Texas. But the key here is 20% cash flow, which is unheard of in a company today. They're re spending about a billion a year in uh, CapEx, and they're going to return roughly 15% of market cap a year in stock buybacks and dividends. So uh, there's a healthy cash flow, which is a big theme of mine uh, across this year, 2022. Mm -hmm. Uh, All right. Next seen a nice name move is VST. Let me let me give you number 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 two, uh, Cisco. That's an interesting move. Tell us why. Well, look, it's a discount. It's trading at a discount to the tech sector, and it's one of these transformational companies moving from hardware sales into recurring revenue uh, from software subscriptions, which they expect to be at fifty percent of revenues in twenty twenty six. It's currently growing roughly 15% a year, that part of the business. Uh, roughly 6% of market cap free cash flow, which is very elevated in this market and above the S&P. All right, so we've got Cisco there and then Canadian Natural Resources, uh, CNQ. So you like oil and gas as well. Yeah, so look, the oil and gas theme uh, is rather well known. The, the supply demand is, is at a precarious balance. Uh, and so uh, Canadian Natural Resources, uh, it's a $50 billion company. Uh, their, their free cash flow is roughly 14% of market cap. So they have tremendous flexibility because they passed their CapEx cycle, four and a quarter percent dividend yield. Uh, which was just raised 25%. And so I would expect uh, between dividends and buybacks, uh, they're going to be returning a tremendous amount of money to shareholders. Again, free cash flow, I think, is going to be very important based on what's going on with the Fed, interest rates, and the volatility that we expect this year. All right, let me get a comment from Jim Labenthal on Cisco specifically before we get to your sector pick. Um, which I don't know. It's a little surprising to me. But anyway, uh, Jimmy, Cisco. I kind of feel like you can't go wrong with Cisco. You know, once in a while it has that bad quarter. Last time they did it, Scott, you know, it, and it reported on the same day that NVIDIA blew the lights out. So that was kind of an ugly day. I don't know if you remember taking him to task on that. But the thing about Cisco is over <laughs> the years, multiple years, this thing steadily performs just a little better than the S&P 500. As a portfolio manager, you want that as a core part of your portfolio. Not sure that it's going to be the top of my returners this year, but I'm a big fan of a steady eddy like Cisco Systems. As, as if I would forget taking you to task, Jim. <laughs> Who are you talking to? <laughs> Please. Uh, I mentioned this sector is kind of surprising, uh, Rich Saperstein. You're, you, you recommend large cap tech. Yeah, look, um, I, I think that in the long run, um, the owning companies that really are insulated from the, the volatility or the cyclicality of the economy, sure, today we're going to see strong to rising oil prices, so energy will do well. We're going to see increased commercial loan growth 
and this yield curve is steeper and rates are higher, so banks will do well. But across all of that volatility, there is a sector that is continuing to grow earnings. They have strong moats around their business, uh, large amounts of free cash flow, which I mentioned, recurring revenues, and they're at the core of everything that's going on, which is the adoption of technology. How could you not own the cloud here or software that is growing at 20, 30% CAGRs? So I like the large cap tech stocks. Uh, each one of them has uh, individual attributes that I think they should be in everyone's portfolio. And not to mention the uh, passive flows uh, of indexing where a tremendous amount of money is going into them every day. All right. All right. I uh, love it. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. Pete gearing up for his stock summit picks. He's got unusual activity still to come, too. We're back right after this. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, let's continue with our stock summit. Pete Najarian, you are up first. I'm going to take you through your picks here. Number one. Capital sure. One. Tell me why. Great company. Had an unbelievable 2021. I think they can do even a lot better this year, Scott. When you look at this name, we always look at P.E., but more importantly, when you're looking at financials, you're actually looking to the price to book, right? And we talk about this all the time. Well, if you look over and you, you take a look at J.P. Morgan, you look at Morgan Stanley, they're basically two times book. This company's trading at about one, 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 two times book right now. I think that means that there's a whole more, uh, a huge amount of upside. The free cash flow is there. They're doing everything right when, they, when it comes to the credit cards. The growth there is incredible. The revenue growth there is incredible. And they're even having great growth in the loan growth side of things. So when I look at this company, I just think it's far too cheap. I like what, it, what they're able to do. I think as on these pullbacks, like we've seen of late, I think that creates another opportunity. I think there's a lot more room to the upside here. I look at, at, at the Goldman Sachs, the Morgan Stanley's, the J.P. Morgan, all those wonderful banks. They are great. But this one, because of the banking and credit card, that mix that they've got, I think this is the place to be. Okay. Number two, FCX, Freeport McMoran. Yeah, we talk about this name a lot on the show, and I will tell you this. I love this name. I've been in and out of this name so often you can't believe it. It's one of my favorite thing, names to trade. 
But lately, it's been nothing but up, 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 up. It's had a great year, year and a half, two years. It's been flying to the upside. When I look at this name, it also trades very cheap. They also have incredible free cash flow. I mean, everything you're looking for in a company and demand. The demand for copper as we embrace the EV world and all the rest of the things that we're using with copper, housing, and everything else. I think you look at this, and the demand is only going to get a heck of a lot stronger. With that, I think Freeport continues to move to the upside. It had a very very good year this year. Could have been better. I think they're going to have a great year in 2022. Okay, now look at your last one. I have two here. So it seems yep. to me like you're torn yeah. between ConocoPhillips and Marathon Oil. Is that right? <laughs> Yeah, I am. Conoco did a great job in the, in, you know, with what they've done in terms of buying some of the companies, Concho being one of those names. So when you look at what their prices are like, where they start to make money, Scott, it's absolutely incredible. I love this company already. I love the energy space in general. But I look at that name. It's a big cap tech, or excuse me, tech, oil name that we love. And, and I'll tell you, I look across. I own Exxon. I own Chevron. And I've been bringing more and more Conoco onto my portfolio at times throughout the year as well. I I think this is a company that does have a lot more upside as well. I'm still leaning in the camp that I think oil prices are going to continue to rise. And with that, I think Conoco is going to be able to go with the steps, the stepping stone of crude to the upside. I think this is a name that has um, a lot more in front of it for 2022, despite the fact that they had a great 2021. I'll also say this. When I look at the other one, Marathon, what I like so much there is they've, they've got great free cash flow. They're, they're, it's unbelievable what they've been able to accomplish there, Scott. And I think in the environment that we're at right now, you want to have beta, and that's why it's tough to pick. That's a three beta. It's going to move in a three times movement. I love that about it. So that's why I also threw in there with a little kicker with Marathon as well. I hear you. Conoco hitting a new 52-week high today. Shan, you own FCX, Freeport. I do. And, you know, I've been pleasantly surprised that we've started to see divergence in the correlation of uh, FCX and copper in general with China. Now, perhaps we're trading that for correlation with EV demand. But um, but I would I, I would caution over the course of the next couple of months, if we do start to see copper and China trade together a little bit more, there might be an opportunity to actually add to this position. I've owned this for a long time, though. Um, and I agree with Pete. If we are starting to get some momentum with that correlation with EVs, um, there could be a long way to go here upward for FCX. And Pete, energy is your sector play. Uh, best last year and uh, off to a good start. Obviously, yep. this year I'll see oil hitting 80. Yeah, we loved it last year. We loved it when it was stock was literally you look at oil, it was trading $38, $40. And then it absolutely had this ripping run all the way up through 80. Now today we're sitting there kind of pushing near that 80 level again. I think oil will be 100, Scott. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I think it's going to be 100. I think it goes higher. But I think it settles somewhere near that $100 level. If that's the case, I think that's just setting up for another great year. Demand is there. And I think that because of the mechanics and all of the different political things that have been going on in the world, I think that's actually a, a call that can be made maybe even faster than I think this year. Farmer Jim, what do you like uh, about this pick? Well, he's, he's singing my tune from start to finish there, and I love it. It's a heavy cyclical play. Just to focus on the energy, <laughs> the demand is growing and supply is constrained. Uh, you know, the oil patch here in the U.S. is being is being judicious and not over drilling. Uh, but you've got infrastructure spending. You've got supply chain onshoring. We're early in an economic expansion. The, the supply demand mismatch in oil is going to support higher prices, higher volumes. By the way, that goes for Freeport, Mac Moran and Copper, too. I just I, I like these picks a lot. 
Okay. Coming up, the final member of the investment committee making her stock summit picks. Shannon Sakosha is on the clock as we speak. She'll give you her top three names and sector when we come back. All right, it's time. The final stock summit picks. Shannon Sakosha, you are up now with your triple A picks. You'll see why I say that in a second. Amazon. Number one, the most disappointing of the fangs of the mega cap techs in, in recent history. Well, the 4% last year certainly is something to look at, but I think the stock did over 70% in 2020. So you average those two together, it's still a pretty good return for the two years. Um, but I, my, my answer to that is, why wouldn't you want to own this stock? Um, fastest growing parts of the business are the high margin parts of the business. We talk about an installed client base. Think about all the prime members um, that Amazon has to tap. Um, and you know, I think from my perspective, this can continue to produce the returns that we saw in 2018, 2019, 2020. Um, and, and, you know, I think that we are looking at this as a great opportunity to add to the position if you don't own it um, in, in, you know, expectation of what we expect to be a good year. Okay. Number two, American Tower. So a lot has been made um, with American Tower about um, 5G and new spectrum. And we look at also the increases that we anticipate from T-Mobile. Um, but the other thing to look at is the barriers to entry for this company and international expansion. So as you're looking to potentially diversify your portfolio on a more global basis, this is a great way to play that because they have significant growth and an installed footprint that continues to monetize outside of the United States. And so that's why we like AMT here. How about Agilent Technologies rounding out your top three picks? So, Scott, you know, I've talked a lot about healthcare over the last couple of years, and we have a, a pretty diversified basket of healthcare companies. I know we just trimmed Anthem, but if you look at Agilent, their exposure is in instrumentation, um, particularly for life sciences businesses. We anticipate post-pandemic that there will continue to be spend um, in terms of technology within the healthcare space. And we think that this company, which actually spun out of um, Hewlett Packard about 20 years ago, is going to be well positioned for that spend that we anticipate is going to accelerate into next year. And your pick for sector industrials, why? <clears throat> So I just I, I think from a global economic perspective, um, we continue to see opportunities for the industrial sector to outperform. I know that Jim and Pete have both talked about energy and materials as their more you know cyclical uh, exposures into this year. We like the industrial space, and in particular, there's several names in our portfolio like Honeywell um, and United Rentals that we think are going to be able to take advantage of this um, expansion in the global economy and also the expansion of automation um, within the industrial space that's going to create better margins and better productivity. Uh, and there's a lot of great companies in this sector if you want to do it on a sector basis or through an ETF. All right. Good stuff. We will track all of these picks throughout the year for certain. We'll take a quick break. Pete has unusual activity coming up. We still have final trades to go as well. We're back after this. Mr. Show, don't sweat it. The Halftime Report now has a podcast. Market-moving interviews, call of the day, unusual activity, and, of course, Ask Halftime. Look for us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app.
Follow the Halftime Podcast. All right, Pete, let's do unusual activity. What do you have for us today? All right, I'm going to start off with this one, Scott. So first of all, we started off the day today with KWeb, which is a Chinese Internet ETF, and we had two hits right out of the gate today. Well, on top of that, a little while later, we also had JD starting to light up on our screens as well. Had some nice buying in there. We talk about the Internet, Chinese Internet names all the time, JD being one of these names. When you look at those stocks, you see absolutely just smashed to the downside, right? And you take a look over at JD, as a matter of fact, bottomed out around 61 this past year. Today it was trading just above or just below 69. It's been as high as 106. But you take a look at this one. We did have some buyers, and actually they're buying a little bit of time as well, which is unusual. April, 77 and a half calls. Stock was trading right around, as I say, just underneath 69. They bought 4,000 of those calls, paying for about $4. So that was really interesting to see both the buying of the ETF itself and this individual name. I talked about energy earlier and how much I like that space. We've had hit after hit after hit within that energy space. KMI is the one that stood out for me today. Now, Kinder Morgan, not the most exciting of stocks, but they're rolling from the January 17 calls up and buying the February 18 calls in this name. So looking for a little bit more upside with the stock trading towards 17. Energy continues to be a theme that hits on our screens every single day, along with financials. And we're seeing a little bit more, Scott, day in and day out, seeing a little bit of this bottom fishing around in some of these China names. We'll see if they're right there, but certainly seeing a lot of option activity. As a matter of fact, we're averaging about 14 or about 41 million contracts per day right now, first week of the year. I feel like you've been in Kinder Morgan, Pete, uh, for at least yeah. five years. <laughs> At, at least. I think you're right. <laughs> yeah, it's been a great name for me anyway. You know what? It's got great. When, when you look at it and you see what they, they pay for a dividend yield, you've got to love it. But on top of that, great company. Kinder always buying back his own stock. That's an influence for me to be in that name and stay in that name. All right. We'll take a quick break. Thanks, Pete. We'll come back. We'll do final trades Thanks. next. We'll do final trades in just a minute. Rich Saperstein, I noticed since we've seen you last, uh, you trimmed Boeing. Obviously, Jim Labenthal is a big Boeing supporter. I believe it was one of his stock summit picks for 2022. Why'd you trim it? Well, I needed to raise some cash to buy uh, CNQ and VST, but I also think that I'd rather buy Boeing a little bit higher after uh, the Chinese start buying the 37. And uh, after the 8.7 gets back into service. So I'd, I'd rather wait. I had a better source for the funds, but I still have a position in Boeing. Okay. Jimmy, I saw you doing the head explode. <laughs> I, I love Rich. Rich is my kind of guy. We disagree on this. But I want to give people a near-term catalyst on Boeing. This Allegiant Air deal that just came out this week, it puts the pressure on Ryanair yeah. to come back to the table for a big order with Boeing. Or else they're not going to get any planes. They're not going to get them for Airbus for like seven years. So I, I think I think you got catalysts coming in the near term. All right. Give me a final trade, Jimmy, while I have you. Well, you know, it's Boeing. That's right there in front of us. So uh, I already <laughs> stole my own thunder on that. I'll, I'll give airtime to the rest of everybody. Uh, okay. Uh, well, who's got Alcoa? That's me. Go ahead. Scott, I like Alcoa, and here's why. It's breaking out, I think. It's hitting 52-week highs, establishing them today, and they're buying more calls. I think Alcoa is going to go a lot higher. I think it's going to get somewhere very close to 70 in the near future. 
All right, Shan, you're up. BlackRock. We talk a lot about the banks when we're talking about financials. Um, the asset management industry is going to continue to consolidate. BlackRock has scale. Okay. They utilize technology effectively and a very large right. distribution right. network. Okay, great. Give me a name, Rich. I got to go. Rockwell Automation. Automation. All right. Good stuff. Thanks, everybody. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.